Having 12 children is not easy. When they're small, it's all right because they're under your feet, but you know where they are and you've got a little bit of control over them. It was those middle years where they all took off and, and, and you know, people say, oh, they look after each other. That's one of one little myth that I don't think they look after. They help each other get into mischief. Yes. <laughs> This is Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of women living in rural, regional and remote Australia. Hi, I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. We are breaking from normal transmission this week to bring you a special episode for Mother's Day in Australia to mark the wonderful women who made us who we are, who held our hands while we were young or while we were old and even in spirit. The mums who let things slip, who passed us a knowing wink over the dinner table, who endlessly fold our clothes, make our meals, who exercise in the early hours so they can give more of themselves to us. Mothers are all the things, tough and gentle all at once, leading a role that is more powerful and far-reaching than any single woman we've celebrated on this podcast before. One mother we've chosen to profile today is 91-year-old Mrs. Abby Pauline from Yass, who had 12 children. She is pure dedication personified and really, really made me think about my own motherhood journey. We asked you as well, our dear listeners, to help us this week by contributing your love letters to your mothers. And gosh, they have been so beautiful. Kind, caring and compassionate, loving and ever so generous, a friend, role model and our number one supporter, a hard-working, busy woman who inspiringly always has so much patience and time for her family, the one you can always call to double check how long the lamb roast takes, just the way she does it. The one that wears many hats and is an inspiration to us every day of the year. A big happy Mother's Day to all the beautiful women who encourage and inspire us every single day. To my beautiful mum and your beautiful hands. I don't know why you always say you hate your hands. Did you know how much I have always loved them? They are truly one of the most remarkable things about you. They are gentle, soft, comforting and protective, but are also strong and can create beauty with everything they touch. I have distinct memories of holding your hand as a child. I was so shy and reserved and your hand was always held at just the right height for me to find without asking. Like a warm blanket to make me feel protected and connected when the world felt big and scary. You instinctively knew the right height to hold your hand out in an open and welcoming manner. No matter how much I grew and no matter how long we spent apart, Your hand and mine did what words could not when Dad passed away and I felt I would float away with sadness. I will never stop needing to hold your hand, though I hope now I can reciprocate even half of the love, comfort and protection they had offered me my whole life. What's wonderful about my mum is she is always happy to lend a helping hand when I ask or whenever she can. I love you, Mum. 
Mum was soft and gentle with a wicked sense of humour. As a child, she was always there with a big hug, answers to all the problems and to fix the broken things. She was many a time the go-between with Dad and my teenage self, just a couple of Capricorns locking horns. She had a way of steering you in the right direction and gently guiding along the way. I feel like I can't breathe without her. My heart is broken, but I'm so grateful for 52 amazing years with her. Seeing Mother's Day memorabilia is particularly tough for me as my mother was a friend and one of the few close confidants for me. And I always contacted her on Mother's Day. We quite often remind each other of the little things that mum would do and humorous comments that she made. I like to contact the female role models in my life on this day as an act of gratitude for their contributions to my mother's life and also to mine. It was my own mum who in part inspired this episode of Life on the Land because when I thought about what I could say about my mum, I thought about all the cards that I had written her for Mother's Day and I thought, isn't it a shame that those words lie dormant within a card and can't be shared with the bigger, wider world? Mine are always simple cards, but in the last couple of years, they've said things like, Dear Mum, Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for being the queen of small gestures. Or, You have no idea how much you are loved, Mum. Every person I come across wants to tell me how wonderful you are. I think we all have our own special ways of saying thanks to our mums, which is so telling of the people that they are. I wonder what the Mother's Day cards would read for Mrs Pauline Abbey of Yass, mother of 12 children, who I was so privileged to recently sit down with. I live in Yass in Brown Street. We've lived here for about 62 years um, and the house is beginning to look like we've been here for 62 years, the same as I'd look like I've been here. We came here about the middle of the family, Jared, just after Jared was born. That's how I know we've been here for 62 years. And so it's been a wonderful, it was a very old home and almost knocked down when we moved in. And slowly but surely we made it comfortable. We didn't ever make it do it up to its fullest extent, but it's been a very comfortable home for all of us. I had 12 children, so we needed a lot of space and that's what we had. If I can go back to when you were a child, so am I right in saying you were born in 1931? What can you remember? as growing up as as a child what were your days like um my days were very not organized at all I was the eldest of five children and there were five years between myself and the next one so I was on my own a lot of the time we lived in the country out of Jugiong originally we lived at Kulak um 
but we left there when I was about five, so I don't really remember that. But I do remember Jugiong. Um, we didn't live in town. We lived down on the river. It was a very basic existence. That was a, a peasy house built in two stages with the kitchen. You had to walk along a long passageway to get to the kitchen, which originally would have been separate altogether, but it had been covered in. The kitchen was very basic. My father put up Hessian and painted it. I don't know what, I can't remember what was underneath it, but obviously the wind came through, so he put the Hessian on it. So it must have just been weatherboards, I presume. And it had a had a stove, little little old stove, and a big open fire next to it where we got our hot water. There was no electricity. Um, we had candles and Aladdin lamps, which tended to catch fire and frighten everybody. But somehow we we survived. But it was a very lovely childhood, really, and I was there until I was about 10. And then as a family we moved into Browning, um, once again not into town but onto a property. And then my brother had arrived and then I had two more sisters and another brother after that so we sort of developed into quite a family but it was a very different lifestyle to the to the what the kids have today we we made our own fun I think and I read a lot as a child my father read to me every night um and so I grew up loving books and I still love books and I'd like to think I can still keep reading them. So, And that was something that was very important to me then and still is now. And what about schooling for you? Um, I started yeah, being homeschooled and then I, I went into Bounding to school there were no school buses, of course, so and I was seven by the time I started school. And so my father used to drive me in every morning and pick me up every afternoon for a while. And then my grandparents owned the hotel in Bounding, so I went and lived through the week because it was a long way from... I started school when we were still living at Jugiong, so... I used to, yes, I don't know that, that Dad did the driving for too long, perhaps only, perhaps it was only a few days, but then I went in and lived with my grandmother at the hotel and went to school in Browning until sixth class and then my grandma, grandmother died and they didn't like me living at the hotel without her being there, so... For the end of sixth class, I went to boarding school in Yass and then I went away to um, boarding school in Sydney for, for high school, which was a great experience. Um, I Just to, uh, just to put the... Um, to rewind again and put it into context, you did lose your mum when you were very young. How, how old were you? Um, I was 16 when my mother died, so I was at boarding school in Sydney and 
my brother next to me had just started um, boarding school because she hadn't she hadn't been well, but she, she, I don't think anyone felt that she was in danger of dying. So it was quite sudden, really. Um, and so Peter, my brother, I felt very sorry for because he'd just started at Riverview. He'd been there. It was about a week after the Christmas holidays. Um, so I came home, of course, and then lots of discussions and decisions and things were made as to what I would do next. So it was a big decision to make whether to come home, which would have meant that Dad would have been at home on his own. And I had one aunt who was very much for me staying at school and another one who was who was very much for me leaving. So I think there was a lot of family discussion that I wasn't part of. But did you did you have a say at all? Did and how did you feel? I, I think I was just fairly used to doing what was recommended, and eventually it was recommended that I came home and stayed with Dad. My two younger sisters had just started. One of them had just started at boarding school. Um, and then my younger brother was only five, so he he hadn't started school at all. And I, I think they probably thought I'd come home and see how it went, you know, and what happened. I, I don't know. I, I, I was a very young 16 when I look at the 16-year-olds today. <laughs> yes, I, I was really young and, and very silly and never had to make decisions of my own, really. Um, so, why do you say silly? I don't. I can't imagine it. That. Well, I think we're all a bit silly when we're sixteen. Some of them are sillier than others. I had a wonderful father who, um, you know, was there all the time, um, and he was happy for me to come home. So, so I came home and and more or less helped him look after the rest of the family but I'd never cooked anything in my life and I can always remember trying to make gravy with him and and he was he hadn't he was quite domesticated but he he'd never had to cook because big families in those days often employed a cook and my grandmother that I'd spent a bit of time with my other my grandmother Roach she always had a cook so, you know, we didn't ever get near the kitchen. It was quite a, you know... Tell me about making gravy. I'd yes. love to know what, what that was like. That was very difficult. What did you put in the gravy? I don't remember what we put in it. I do remember the lumps that we ended up with and the fact that, you know, it yeah, it would have been terrible. But we had um, an old gentleman who'd been a shearer's cook actually and he was somebody that we'd known for years he lived in the district and he came and lived with us for a while and he thought he could cook when I look back on it I wondered how we all survived but anyway we did but he used to boil meat he, we had a lot of boiled mutton which I've never done since um, and yeah and he used to I don't know 
but he probably taught me how to cook to, to make gravy or to get the lumps out of it. I don't think Dad ever mastered the art. But the, I'd never done anything. I'd never ironed a shirt. That was another thing that I found very difficult. Dad was a big, big build and he had his sh shirts made in those days in Sydney and with long arms and a special panel across the back. Well, it was special then. Most shirts now have a panel across the back, but it was he thought they were pretty special. And... And they were very difficult to iron. They had a long tail and longer sleeves than the average shirt. Um, but somehow or other, we muddled along. And so John, my younger brother, who was who turned five, um, he started school in Browning and I learnt to drive the car so I could drive him in and back. It was, was only four miles, which in those days was far enough because the f cars weren't like they are now. Um, so I used to drive him in and out to school and I helped him with his homework and things and I loved doing all that. But he, he was very poetic and interested in the things I was interested in. He was never interested in the land, much to my father's disappointment. But he he, he loved poetry and singing and all those things. Um, so I went backwards and forwards to school with him for quite a few years and the girls used to come home then for holidays. And I wanted to ask you also... What was your mum like? She was outgoing and loved people and she used to entertain quite a lot, have card parties. She and my father both liked playing cards. She was very interested in the village of Bowning where she had spent her childhood. So she used to help different people that she felt needed help. And she became involved with the war. The, the Red Cross was a big thing in for everybody, I think, at that stage. And, that, yeah, that was when I was at school. We used to go down to the hall and, and learn how to roll up bandages and how to put them on people. And I was always, because I was the only young one there, I was always used as the model, so I was bandaged from head to foot. But you know, it was it was an in looking back on it, it was quite interesting. We had all we, we had blackouts so that our windows were all covered with some sort of paper, so there were no lights. Um, that's got right off the subject, hasn't it? Not oh, don't no. you? It's very interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that that it was yeah, yeah blacked out. It sounds like. Much of your younger years were full of responsibility for bringing up, well, for looking after your siblings. Yes. yes, and I suppose that was just life for you. But did you um, think about become doing anything else or or studying in any way? Or when I went back to school before my mother died, that 
holidays, I had decided that I wanted to be an occupational therapist. Mm. I wasn't too sure what it, what I had to do, but and whether I'd ever got into university, into the university was probably debatable. But that was what I wanted to do because it, um, I could sew and knit and do those things, and in those days occupational therapists did a lot of that. I'm sure they did other things besides, but I had a friend who had done occupational therapy and she did beautiful handwork and I thought that was what I'd like to do. (laughs) And I think a lot of... She seemed to do that even after she was through. She she did a lot of handwork with people. So that's probably a part of... You know, I mean, now they do lots of other things, but mm. but um, it was certainly part of her profession. You so, s- sorry. Yes. On. So when I came home, it never occurred to me that I just didn't look ahead. I don't think it, it. I didn't sit down and think, well, now I'm never going to be able to do that. I just thought, oh well, you know, this is what I'm doing this year, so that's what I did. Mm. Um, it didn't dawn on me t- for quite a few years that. I wouldn't ever get round to doing it. Um, but, you know, I don't regret doing what I did. I'd do it all again, yes. So. When did your own life move on to finding a husband and having children and had developing your own family? Oh, well, I was at home with Dad for quite a few years um, and so eventually I met my husband at or after the picnic races eventually married and had quite a number of children which I always wanted a big family I, I still think big families are lovely and I didn't ever regret having a big family there were times when I thought oh you know another one but <laughs> But I loved them all and and I'm not a bit sorry that they've been wonderful children. I think you've had the most number of children that I've heard of anybody ever having. Um, tell me how many children that you had and um, how many years that was spread across. Um, I had 12 children um, and they were spread across... 21 years, I think, so it, it they were relatively close together, I suppose. I'd, I don't ever regret having those children. I, I have lost three of them, which that was very sad. Um, but I've been blessed with with all of them. And they're now helping me to live my last years and being very spoilt, really. I've had them with me, some of them, for two months and I've now got used to sitting in the chair and waiting for my meals <laughs> almost, which, is, which isn't very good. I'll have to get back on my feet. But, but, um, but it's been lovely that they've been able to come and help me. Having 12 children is not easy when they're all 
when they're small it's all right because they're under your feet but you know where they are and you've got a little bit of control over them it was those middle years where they all took off and 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 you know people say oh they look after each other that's one of one little myth that I don't think they look up. They help each other get into mischief. Yes. yes. <laughs> Maybe that's a better way. <laughs> but 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 they were lots of fun along the way and we still have lots of fun and that was the main thing. And we were lucky that we had little property out of town and their father used to take them out onto that a lot. Um, every weekend they'd go out there and, and some... One of the boys tells me that Dad used to pick him up down at the corner on his way to school and take him out to help with the shearing and not tell me. Naughty. <laughs> it's naughty. <laughs> um, but no doubt that that happened. Um, so, yes, so they, they, were, were, they were lots of fun and I don't regret having had them and looked after them one little bit so how did you look after them in the younger years um I just think it's really interesting for people to hear this perspective because our families are different now we try and take on much much more um but it's not to say that the days are any less busy for a mother no I think they're probably more busy for a mother now than they were we we didn't or we weren't expected, I suppose, to have an outside income. I mean, some people did, but it wasn't really expected of you. It was an extra and, and that you could manage. Um, and so we gave our time and, and expertise into looking after the children. I made all my children's clothes and my own. So I spent a lot of time at the sewing machine, which is still sitting out there looking at me as though I use it every day and I really haven't had it turned on for probably six months or so. But I enjoyed sewing. I'd done dressmaking at school in a vague sort of way, um, but I'd never really done any. I used to use patterns and things and they seemed to turn out, so I quite... I enjoyed that. But, yes, it was a different life altogether. We, we had no takeaway meals. Because we had a property and, and our own stock, we killed our own meat. So I had a lot of baked dinners, which were easy and were good because we killed our own meat. And everybody loved them. So And they did a lot of things around the house themselves you know they always got the wood in I had a wood fire which I loved and lots of other little jobs around the house each of them as they got older had to do they all made their own beds before they went to school or otherwise they weren't made how did you transport everybody or was it always on foot I don't remember transporting all of them together because we couldn't have all fitted into anything altogether. Um, by the time Therese was born, Brendan had um, had got a job out of Yass, actually. He was working in Cootamundra and he had his own car and his own licence 
and Mary had gone to Canberra, who's the, the next one to Brendan. She was at, was at um, well, she was working in, at university over there. Um, so I, it, we had a car and a utility, but I don't ever remember taking the both of them to anything. So it seems a silly thing to say that I can't remember how we got round, but we seemed to... We did a lot on foot. We didn't, you know, we we went to Mass every Sunday and some of them would walk and I'd, I'd drive the car. Um, so, yeah, and, and we got... Well, we used to go out to the property at the weekend with the children in the back of the utility. Goodness me, you wouldn't get down the street today, would you? But How good. We, we could, I could fit four or five in the front of the utility. The little one used to stand up and, yes, and then in all the leftovers would be in the back. Um, and they, they enjoyed that. They didn't realise it was a privilege, so just that's what we did. Um, and I suppose we went other places with them in the back of the utility. I don't really remember doing that it wasn't a it wasn't a big issue I, I'm interested to know um <laughs> you know my children are young now and discipline is such a huge thing and I feel like I'm forever disciplining um ha- how did that go with 12 children um I, I just had a couple of very strict rules. They had to be home by five o'clock and I can remember getting very cross if they didn't, you know, if they'd been out playing with someone and they didn't come home by five o'clock. I don't ever remember being very cranky or maybe I was all the time and (laughs) (laughs) and nobody noticed. But I wonder if because of... (laughs) <laughs> the sheer velocity of you know the size of the family that it all helped out in that they were occupied and not I don't know calling on you too much or is that idealistic? I I used to get cross with people who said oh well, that's good you know they all look after each other and I used to think what rubbish they look <laughs> after each other but up to a point they do of course. Yeah, and and they correct each other, I think, if they sometimes anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't. I think it's a bit idealistic. I, I think they all have personalities of their own, and they they all get treated differently. Some of them, I don't even remember being being you know having a stick or or hitting their father used to be very hard on them if they'd been very naughty or had disobeyed what he'd asked. But I don't ever remember. They must have been reasonably good or so bad that I gave up. I don't know which. (laughs) (laughs) And when was it that you lost your husband? Uh, I lost my husband in 1980. He'd been sick for some time before that and hadn't really been... Well, he'd been in and out of hospital a lot and and that was very hard. I had five children still at school 
um, the older five had left. Brendan was sort of settled in what he wanted to do. Mary was settled. But it was hard not to have him round as a, a guiding hand, which he'd certainly been. Um, so, but anyway, they all settled down and did what, you know, the, the ones that were still at school. Well, Therese hadn't started school when Toby died. She started just after he died. You know, if you sat down and thought about it, which I don't think I did, I think I just did exactly what I'd done before, was just got on with doing it and not thinking too much about it because to to have five children at school on your own and I hadn't ever really worked for a wage so you know I had nowhere to start and and that was one thing I always regretted that I hadn't done some sort of a a business course or something well I hadn't always regretted it but I certainly regretted it after he after Toby died um, because I really had nowhere to turn but but I was lucky I got ran the school tuck shop and did quite a few things which were not for a lot of money, but it was cash money and it was something I could do and look after the children at the same time. And that was important. I didn't want to suddenly disappear from the house at the same time as he'd disappeared and that would have been a big shock to them, I think, and to... So, so it was good that I managed to pick up enough jobs i ran a, yeah i ran a driving service for, for the town which was was paid not by not very much but it all mounts up it all adds up and if you're careful um it works and because i made all their clothes and and we pass things down of course it's one thing about having a big family you can pass clothes down from one the other and they mightn't like it much but they're, <laughs> they're clothed and and we by that time we'd done what we wanted to do to the house so I didn't really have any big expense there and yes yeah, so we just went on doing what we'd doing what we'd always done um yeah somehow we we survived it wasn't easy mm. those few few years until they all left school. You know, it was a big drag on finance of all descriptions. Yes. How did you feel about um, having sort of? It's almost history, like you alluded to, repeating itself. And you did have older siblings. Did they? How did you feel about them stepping into the fray to look after the younger siblings? Did you want them to do that or did you want to protect them from that responsibility? A bit of both. Um, I certainly didn't want want them to feel that it was their responsibility and I don't think they did. They probably lived at home a little bit longer than they would have if, if they hadn't felt they were being a help to me. I hope that they didn't feel they were tied to being at home with me. I don't think they did. Um, and if if they did, I don't want to hear about it now. It's gone <laughs> and done. <laughs> yes. So, um, 
but no, they all they all did different things. They were all very different children, and so they they all did what they wanted to do. Um, it's not always easy to be fair to that. That was the thing that I worried about that I would help one of them more, more than the other, um, and you know that's that's always a worry I think within families that you tend to think that you are doing more for one than you do for the other um, and and certainly I didn't want to do that and I tried hard not to but probably not very successfully. Um, their needs are all different and I mean some of them are doing well with very little whereas others don't do as well with a lot more and that goes on for the rest of their lives so there's not much you can do about that it's just it's a personality thing and you wouldn't you well you couldn't change it and you wouldn't want to probably so so you do the best you can and that's really all you can do is the best you can for all of them what are your reflections about big families generally i mean you um are so exposed to all like so much more wonderfulness but more sadness as well because you are bigger and there are more people involved and your networks are are huge I suppose and as a mother of 12 I'd just love to know what you what your thoughts are on that I I can't think that I would ever have not had a big family and I've never regretted that I've got a big family for not for one second. I've enjoyed them. They were hard work and they've been a lot of worry and they've brought quite a lot of sadness along the way. But they're worth every bit of it. So I never want to feel that I regret having them at all and big families are great fun they're still great fun when they get together they get together a lot um, and the thing that I really enjoy is seeing my grandchildren who are now growing up um, mixing and, and being great friends with with each other even though they don't see a lot of each other they get together at Christmas time and they yeah, it's just, I think it's amazing that um, each one's child seems to get on with with the others, which that didn't happen. Well, I didn't, I only had a few cousins and I never really saw them as we grew up. So it's different altogether. But these kids, quite a lot of them are in Sydney doing various things and they're all in their 20s and they're contacting each other and going out together and you know, and having a great time and, and that's brought me a lot of joy just to see that happening in the family. That's great. You created that. Oh, I don't, don't really think I had much to do with that but I'm enjoying it anyway so it's good. I always feel like I, only having come from a family of four, which I think is quite big, that the most beautiful thing is that... Um, you could all be together and not need anything else oh. more in the world. Yes. Yes, well, I, I, I hope my family feel like that and they all come 
all the grandchildren and now the great-grandchildren come together for Christmas every second year and I think there were 54 of us last time, which is getting a little bit hard to manage. It's Mother's Day soon. Do you guys do things for, do you celebrate Mother's Day? How do your family um, celebrate you on Mother's Day? Well, I've certainly always been spoilt on Mother's Day. They, they all come home, which is the best thing they can do for me. Um, and, and not necessarily because they feel they have to, but they seem to congregate again on Mother's Day. Um, we used to, years ago, just go for a picnic. They had We had a lot of picnics in the paddock. We used to burn off. We had a lot of country that hadn't been cleared properly. And so they used to go and pack up bonfires and set them alight and... They had to pick up a certain number of sticks before they got any lunch and then we'd have a picnic a picnic lunch. Um, in later years it's been a baked dinner, mostly either at lunchtime or at night and, and they all seem to turn up for that. They have, of course, to go to their mother-in-laws and things as well, so it's not possible for all of them to get together on Mother's Day, but it's certainly... I've always felt that I've been very spoilt and looked after very well on Mother's Day. And it's a great tradition. Somehow it's it's more so than Father's Day, but perhaps that's only in my family, I don't know. But I, I think mothers deserve every, every bit they get. <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure. Pauline, and such a privilege to be able to sit down and talk with you. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to me and I hope it hasn't been too terrible. Mrs Abbey's story made me realise that we really should be making more time for these sorts of conversations. The wisdom of mothers gone by... And those still with us when distilled does provide such a wonderfully clever how-to guide for life. And I, for one, don't think that we hear enough of it. So I thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to record this interview. Maybe you could do your own kind of recording. All it takes is some time, a cup of tea and a comfy chair. Just press record on your voice memos on your phone and you have a slice of history recorded. Happy Mother's Day today to all the mums, to those who are trying so hard to become mums, to those who have lost their mums, those who don't speak with their mums, who miss their mums, and to the mums who are blazing the trail for a new kind of motherhood, and to those who are in the thick of being mums day in, day out. And if you find it hard to say thank you to your mum, maybe you could share this episode with her and let the words speak for themselves. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another Life on the Land story.